Hey, RCF, how we doing? Long time. This feels good to be back. Colorado's welcoming me with this huge snowstorm, but I'm not used to this, guys. This is, I'm, I'm out of practice. <laughs> so, thank you, Jacob, for the introduction. So it's, uh, this is an important topic. We live, we live in the year 2023. We're 2,000 years removed from when Jesus Christ walked the earth, and um, some things have changed. Some things have changed, and, and the thing that we need to hold on to is that one thing that hasn't changed is God's Word. God's Word is, is no different the, the integrity of it, the, the truth in it is no different. All of it, all of it, uh, from that time and before. And so I feel like in our culture today, and, and I, I can say this with firsthand experience, that a lot of stuff um, kind of gets thrown out, you know, stuff that, that we either don't feel is relevant, don't want to feel is relevant. And, and this is something we have, to, we have to come back to, because if we start cherry picking stuff that, that we don't like about the Bible, we are now God. We get to choose what we like and what we don't like. And, uh, you know, again, we are not, we're fallen people. We're going to pick the stuff that, you know, that appeals to us and not make that hard choice to follow the whole counsel of God. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and pray us in. Um, Father God, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. We invite you into our hearts, Lord Jesus. We thank you for everything that you've done for us, and we ask forgiveness for our sins. Not just our sins, but the sins of our families, the sins of our nation, the sins of our city, Lord God. Let this be your message, and let us learn something new about you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give a round of applause to Jesus. <laughs> Woo! I am so excited. I want to welcome you all to Young Adults Sunday. This happens every fifth Sunday. So it, it is just such a privilege to be here. If we could get the first slide on the, uh, on the screens. Um, so today we're going to talk about several things. But first I want to talk about who is God or who is he to me? Who is he to us? Now, the last time I was on this platform, Pastor Gilbert was praying, and he was talking about being an arm or different parts of the body. And if there is a church that has three arms, maybe you could be an arm somewhere else. So sometimes you see me doing camera. For those of you who were here in 2005, you saw me on the stage singing. Um, and, and today I get the privilege to share a word. Whatever the body of Christ needs, we are there for it. So I'm going to talk about who is God to me. Now, I did go to South America for a decade to do missions. And the first verse I want to read is Exodus. Um, if we could put, put that slide back up. Slide three. Yes, there it is. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. And it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So raise your hand if you've heard this verse before, if you've heard the term, I am that I am. There's a cross-moving song that, you know, got me started in the Christian hip-hop. I am that I am is what it's called. But who knows what that means? Because we all quote it, we say, I am that I am. I'm here to tell you what it means. When God was talking to Moses, he said to him, think of something that you need. That's what I am. That's what that verse translates to. So the word in Hebrew, excuse me, I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew, but it's that word, that, it's aser. And it, it appears 4,804 times in the Bible. But one of the versions I want to, or one of the scriptures that it appears in is Genesis 2.19. And this scripture says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them into Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, every living creature, that was the name thereof. And whatsoever Adam called them, the living creature, that's what their name was therefore. So I always talk about sometimes, uh, just a side note, Adam saw a lion. He was like, lion, giraffe, giraffe. But at some point he got bored and he was like, that's a fly. Um, that fruit, it's orange, it's orange. And that's when, that's when I say God was like, you know what? Man, it's not good that man's alone because he's bored. He's naming things fly because it flies. So go to sleep. We're going we gonna to make him a woman because, come on, you need somebody to bounce these ideas <laughs> off. Um, but <laughs> getting back to that, that word, whatsoever you name them, that's what it shall be. That's the same word, that whatsoever, that is used for I am that I am. So whatsoever you name it, that shall be. So God is saying to you, think of something. And whatever you think of that you need, that's what I am. So I'm going to go through and say some of the names of, of, of God in the Bible, because in most of our translations, it just says Lord or God. But for some of you, he might be El Shaddai, which is Lord Almighty. For some of you, he might be Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. And what that banner means is when you go into war and you, you have your banner, people understand who they're going against. More specifically in South America, being with people who a robber came up to them, pointed a gun, and said, give me everything that you have. And they said, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. And they took one step, two step, and turned around and ran. Those are the type of things that I've witnessed doing missionary work. So when I say, who is God to me? I think God is my healer. I'll share a few experiences, and then we'll move on. Um, in South America, and we'll talk about this probably another day. What it's like to pray over somebody in a hospital and they wake up from a coma. Someone who has been brain dead for 12 hours. We go to the hospital and pray for them. The doctors come out and say, you're being too loud, you need to be quiet. We keep praying. They come out again and say, you need to be quiet or you're gonna have to leave. We keep praying. They come out again and say, he woke up and he's asking for his parents. <laughs> and we are just as shocked as they are. <laughs> um, or when God sends us out and you bring shoes to someone who's never had shoes before in their life. And they're like trying to try them on, what that feels like. When God used me and he worked through me to put my hands on somebody's ear and their hearing was restored. And I said to them, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Like the Verizon commercials, 
I did that. And, and, and seeing those things that God does when, when, you, when you act in his will, when you go out, that's who God is to me. And that's who God is to us. We both have different stories. Um, so if you could put up the next slide. Yeah, and, and to that point, what God is to me now is very different than what God was to me, right? God was a fairy tale to me. God was, you know, some, something that some guy made up a long time ago. And, and he did. He did talk to me. He talked to me through his word. I was there, no, no intention at all of, of trying to find God. I was just curious. At that point in my life, I had a lot of time in my hands. I opened his word, and that's how it works. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through his word. And you can be reading a narrative about David or, or judges or something like that. And my non-believing ears were like, well, this is, this is pointless to me. But then the Holy Spirit, he, he does something. I can't explain it. It passes understanding. And before you know it, you're thinking about something that happened to you yesterday through that story. The Bible itself is a supernatural experience. And, and through that, it's not studying a textbook. You know? And I, that's why I, 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 like I get a little, eh, when I say studying the Bible, because it sounds very boring. But it changed my life. And it, it, it will flip yours upside down if, if you earnestly seek God. And I'm sorry, I just have to say that. So go to slide four for us. So that is what the world thinks of God. Slide I've, four, the one before that. There we go. Yeah. So I've, I've since talked to a lot of non-believers and believers who have said things like, well, the non-believers say, you know, I don't, I don't believe in God because, you know, there's no evidence. I think that, you know, it, he was made up for, they, they have a lot of silly reasons. I had a lot of silly reasons too. Oh, they, you know, they made up this religion so that the people can profit from it, like, because they were all tortured to death. I don't know how that, that didn't work out for them at all. Um, or mean and cruel, right? We, we, you guys have heard this before, you know, well, how can a loving God do X and Y, right? Controlling, of course, we as humans, we don't, we, we want to do our own thing. And that's true of believers and non-believers, right? We are constantly rebelling against obedience from God. Uh, God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we have the power to, to, to war with the flesh and, and bring it into obedience. But, um, it's a painful thing, right? If you're, if you're a non-believer and you, you want to do your own thing and now you're saying, well, here's this, this, uh, you know, this, this text that says, well, this is how you should live your life righteously. It's not very appealing when you've got this whole world out here saying, don't worry about that, you know? Just, just do your own thing and, and has set up many, many very attractive things to inflame our lust and, and, and lead us away. And then... Okay. I'm gonna jump in there. Um, so why don't we see more young people in the church? Well, yeah, they're, they're somewhere. Um, it's because somewhere. Maybe, maybe, church is, maybe church is boring. Maybe I've been made to come here. Um, maybe there's nothing for me. Or in some cases, maybe everything's already done. They seem to be doing just fine. Well, why do they need me? Um, maybe it's too cold outside. Hey, but when we understand that this should be a gas station. You wouldn't just go driving if you were on empty. So when the world sees what, what their view of God, they might see him as not necessary because this world is built to give us everything that we need to cover our physical needs. 
And so today we're going to get into not only just how the world sees God, but explaining why they're not here. And also with that breath, why we should go get them. Because when you're at a gas station, you fill up to go out. So wanted to say that. That was good. So if you can go to slide five. Yeah, there's, there's a reason the world looks at God this way, okay? And it's not just by coincidence. Uh, if you notice, there is a very special animosity for the God of the Bible uh, that you don't see, uh, you know, uh, by, you know, let's say Allah or, or any of these other religions. Uh, and, and it's not by accident. And so we need to talk about the, the world at large, you know, and I think that maybe we, we might have a conception that the world is sort of neutral, right? You know, you've got believers and you've got non-believers and you have the world that's just kind of there and, you know, we can, we can take part in it and, and, you know, get the benefit however we can from it, but we need to understand exactly how this world is, is made up. And so the Bible talks a lot about the ruler of the world. The ruler of the world while God is the ruler of the universe, there is a ruler of this world that Jesus himself talked about. In John 12, 31, he says, uh, now judgment has come to the world, now the ruler of the world will be cast out. That's Jesus himself, God himself, saying that there's a ruler of the world. That's not him currently. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says... I lost my place. Here it is. That the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, non-believers, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Okay? So there is a ruler. It's not God at the moment. And this, this ruler is going out of his way to blind the minds of those who he can. Next slide. So that's an interesting point there. You said the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. So instead of us judging, we need to understand that it's veiled. Yeah. When I was in college, and um, yeah, I've, I've been in church pretty much my whole life, every time I would go to an event, because I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, um, anytime I would go to a, an event, people that were there would say, man, you're messing up my high. You're messing up my high. Like, I can't really drink with you standing there because it just don't feel right. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just here. Like, I'm, I'm not doing anything to you. Like, why, why? If you're feeling condemned, that's on you. All right. <laughs> but the thing is, what that means is veiled is we got to stop judging people because they're veiled. They, they yeah. literally can't see. Now, I'm not saying that means you need to treat someone like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, poor you. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Because I've also been on mission trips uh, where people thought that I was one of the people in the streets. And so when we got in one of the free rides, they were all like, oh, do you know Jesus? And I started playing with them like, yeah, I heard of Jesus. They're like, oh, bless your heart. Oh. And then so after about five minutes of that, I was like, I'm just playing with you. I'm one of the people in the, in the mission group. They're like, oh, how come you didn't tell us? Because you shouldn't be treating people differently if they're saved or not saved. When you have a veil, only Jesus can remove that. Yeah. Likewise, if you have family members who are not saved and you are trying and praying and doing everything you can and they're not changing, it's your job just to pray for them because only God can remove that veil. Mm -hmm. It's not your job. Anybody who has kids who's tried to remove the veil, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's continue. And if anything, that should, that should give us more compassion, right? Because we can't, we can't look at people and 
as a new Christian, I, I, I went through that whole judgment phase, right? I, all of a sudden, I thought I was smarter than everybody else, and I'm looking at these other, you know, non-believers and Christians, like, why, you know, why don't you know what I know? It, first of all, I was dead wrong. <laughs> but besides that, this is a supernatural thing we're talking about, you know? Someone gets saved not because they're smarter than somebody else. You know, it is, it's God who gives that grace for us to have the faith to then believe in God. And so we have to, we always have to work from a place of, of love and, and give the gospel to anyone who is willing to listen. And if they don't, you know, we have to look at it like they are, as Nate said, you know, they are, the gospel is veiled to them. And that's where the prayer comes in. So anyway, this global ruler, this guy who has global reach, has a specific toolkit that he uses. And we've, we've heard a lot about Genesis 3, right? Uh, we, we know his, his tactics, but we need to understand that it's not... Sometimes I feel like the devil is sort of positioned as like a boogeyman, right? And he just kind of pops out and he gets one and, and you know, then he, he goes away. But that's not how he is. He is a ruler. He sits, probably sits on some sort of worldly throne, but he has a network. And that network, and he's got a hierarchy, principalities, and powers... And these things are, you know, they all have their various, like, sections. I mean, if you look in uh, Daniel 9, I think it is, the, uh, the angel came to, to Daniel talking about, you know, the, the ruler, the prince of, uh, was it Persia, is, it withheld me. He wasn't talking about an actual guy withholding an angel. He was talking about a principality over that government, the Persian government from back in the day, uh, who's controlling that whole nation. And then he said that I need to go back and help out Michael because the Prince of Greece is coming, another principality. And so we need to remember that there's probably a prince of the United States. There's probably a prince of, you know, Britain and all these other, there, there's, there's an entire network. And so he's got that sort of reach. He disseminates whatever he wants to disseminate. And so his trade, his traffic is lies. And so John says... Oh, and I just lost the thing. That's okay. John says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. I want to talk about that verse for a second. There's another translation that says when he speaks a lie, he speaks in his native language, which I think is a brilliant translation. But the, the fact is we, we need to understand the depth of this deception. And we're, we're going to get to apologetics soon, guys. I just, but we have, to, we have to establish this because this is really important. He's the father of lies. That means that he created the entire concept of a lie. This, Satan is lying incarnate. So we now have a global ruler who is disseminating systems of lies to the entire world and all of us in it. Yeah, and we talked about how the ruler of this world has been a murderer from the beginning. Um, so I just, in my mind, I went to an interview where you're interviewing a candidate and they have everything right. Like, oh, how long have you done this job? Been here 12 years. Okay, that's great. Um, great with technology. Yeah. Um, hey, it says here that you've been a, you, you murdered somebody? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been a murderer from the beginning. Like, just, you know, from the get-go. <laughs> just came out, just killing people. Just killing it. Killing it. So, um, am I hired? He's like, you know what? Okay, yeah, yeah, you can, you can rule over this. So when we think about the world and everything the world has to offer, we need to know that the ruler has been a murderer from the beginning. There are a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies that my friends um, have watched 
Um, and for example, I had a friend who, um, she is not Christian, but she's one of the most honest, transparent people that I know in the world. And that's another, a whole other topic is why are people who are not saved more honest than sometimes people who are saved? But she was talking about a TV show called Lucifer. And she's like, yeah, it's fun. It's just, you know, the devil's on vacation. And I'm just like, stop. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just about his life. He's, and I, I just, like, can't believe. And then now we, we just keep moving forward, and there's, there's so much stuff in the media that we watch where it's just putting little tidbits and, 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 and saying, this is okay, and, 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 and it's okay, because the ruler of this world has been a liar from the beginning. If you think about those 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness before he started his ministry and he was fasting, the ruler of this world came to him and offered him things. He said, I will give you this world if you just bow down. So think about And now, well, since you opened up that can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> Open it up. Let's, let's, let's talk about the media for a second. Have you guys ever thought about when you're watching, and this is easy now because it's so widespread, have you watched Netflix and, and watched all these other streaming things and TV shows that we have nowadays? Have you noticed that OMG... GDAM and all these other, you know, Christian sort of, I don't know what the right word is, slur or, or, or curse words, are like every other sentence out of these characters on TV. Nobody blasphemes Allah. Nobody blasphemes, you know, any other religion. But remember, we said the Bible has not changed. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. That still applies. And there's a reason why that's there in the media because whether you like it or not, you can think you're a mature adult. What we consume, it, we feed off of it. And, and we, you know, we, we, we take some of that with us. And if you notice, in, in regular dialogue, people who are non-believers are screaming the name of, of Jesus you know, in, when it doesn't, in vain, when it doesn't belong. And so that was, that was given to us by what was on TV. And so the, these are, this is the sort of world influence that, that we talk about, like the institutions of the world, the entertainment systems and education systems and all these things. Like this is, this is, how, it, this is how it works. And so. Slide, I think slide seven. Yeah, slide seven. So we have a global ruler. His, his traffic is in lies. Let's see how he's doing with that mission. First John uh, five says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You don't have the answer, Sway. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. And Revelation 12 says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Now, I want to I point out that both of those verses, it didn't say Satan deceived the whole world. Past tense, like, you know, back in the day, all those people, well, they were deceived, but, you know, we've come so far, and we're so smart now, and, and, you know, we've got technology, and we're advanced, and he didn't say, will deceive, right, in some future grand uh, deception that, that fools the whole world. Right now, present tense, present tense 2,000 years ago, present tense today, the world is deceived. And so, we have this global ruler, he lies, and he's done a magnificent job of accomplishing that mission. Next slide. And so this is what we get from it. This is, this is the sort of takeaway from everything we just said. The ruler of this world has designed it, the world, to make you a spiritual casualty. And 
we need to understand, and, and I, don't, I don't say this to depress you, I don't say this to, to scare you, because remember also that the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world, okay? So if we, if we stay close to Jesus, if we seek him, if we seek his counsel, seek his guidance, seek his word, please, we, we will be okay. The problem where we get caught up is that we, instead of doing that, instead of seeking the one in us, we seek information from the world about the one in us. We're basically going to the enemy and expecting a straight answer from him about what, what God's about. And as an example, so I was, a, I was a brand new Christian, 31 years old, whatever it was when I got saved. I was like maybe two months in. I was in the book of Corinthians for the first time. I was, I was reading about it. And I just had some real basic like question about it, like when it was written, like what year or something, what, what Paul wrote it. And so not knowing any better and not having a sort of, you know, a spiritual mentor, like a person, I just went on Wikipedia looking for, you know, just, I figured this was an easy enough answer. And if you go there about the book of Corinthians, it's going to say something like, you know, the book of Corinthians, which was allegedly written by Paul, so, so on and so forth, like those little words. And then there's a whole blurb about how the book was actually probably likely forged. It, it was probably fake from the beginning. It was a pseudonymous writer who was, you know, uh, who just made it, like basically the whole thing was made up. Now imagine a Christian who has been a Christian for like five seconds reading that and having nothing, not knowing where to go, um, you know, for, for a rebuttal. And for like, uh, for real guys, like for two weeks, I had a crisis of faith. I was like brand new Christian, didn't know anything. And I was almost about to step out. So I'm like, wait a minute, is this thing that I'm believing? Is this actually real? You know, am I, am I, you know, I believe this for this whole portion of my life. Am I being a fool now? You know, this whole thing. And, and, you know, by the grace of God, he, he kind of walked me back from the cliff or, or whatever the saying is. But, but that's the, that's the kind of stuff we need to be very careful about who we trust with that sort of, that sort of grace. So when it says the rule of this world has designed it so that you become a spiritual casualty, um, I want us to think about the word sin and what it really means. The word sin means missing the mark. That's all it means. Do you know, brethren, that the devil's job not, is not to get us to sin? Did you know that? Only thing he wants us to do is delay us from reaching what our, what our purpose is. He's just trying to get us to miss the mark of whatever it is. So for example, the world offers you all kinds of things. God has a purpose for you. If you don't reach that purpose, you're gonna have to answer for that one day. And you might be like, but Lord, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I don't drink, I don't cuss. And he's going to say, but you never, you never got to your purpose. Why? Because that third episode of Netflix was really good. Hey, I, I had to keep, I had just one more, one more. Or, you know what? Um, I really like the way that people make me feel whenever I speak. So maybe I'll just keep doing it just so I can get that feeling. And God's like, I need you to go live in a developing country and be with them. Or think about this. When I was, when I was in, on my mission trip um, for a decade, um, there was, I was at this church where I was singing in front of 3,000 people, um, and that was a youth group. And, and somebody walked up to me downtown, somewhere that wasn't even close to the church, 
and was like, you're just a horrible, the worst singer. You're just a failure. What kind of person are you? And I was like, devil, get behind me. The next day, the next day I was downtown, somebody else said, hey, that's the singer. He's the best singer in the world. You all need to know him. He is wonderful. He's just, I was like, devil, get behind me. Because I realized it was the same spirit. The same spirit. And so when you know God, when you know God, you have to realize this world is designed that, man, I, I can't get him with this. Maybe I can get him with if I can't get him with negativity, maybe I can get him with, you know, pride. Hey, if I, if I can't get him with, with drugs, maybe I can get him with, with money. Or maybe I can get him by taking somebody out in his family. This is, somebody, this is something I had to talk to my sister about because we have suffered a lot of death in our family from my uncles being murdered, from my cousins being killed, and... I came up with this phrase that says, God takes the best of us and leaves the rest of us. And what are we supposed to do? Because sometimes I feel like he's taking the main characters. Where am I going with this? The world will tell you, turn your back on God. You don't need him. This is how he's done you. But our response is really to say, I need to search. I need to find out what is going on. Yes, this is hurt, but the person who's made me has something for me. And we have to be careful not to become a spiritual casualty. The walking dead, meaning you're still alive, going through the motions, but I can't handle my emotions, so I turn them off. And I just become a hard, cold shell walking through it. Do not become a spiritual casualty. And re remember that you becoming a casualty has consequences. It has consequences for others too. I mean, think about yes, think yes. about going to heaven and, and being able to now look back at the whole scene. This this honestly, this keeps me awake at night sometimes. When you when you think about that, being able to look back and being like seeing sort of those missed opportunities. I I, I can't prove this from the Bible, but I do believe that we're going to have that sort of visibility, right? And and this is what this is the devil's whole goal. It's to keep people unsaved. And if he can do that by keeping you away from God, great. If he's already got, you know, if you've already come to God, fine, but he's going to make you impotent for the kingdom. He's going to make your witness die, and he's going to use it in all the ways that, that Nate just said. So we're going to make a, a nice little shift here and uh, lighten up the mood some. Um, if the world is not following God, um, what are they following? What, what, is, what is the other alternative? Because nobody wants to follow the devil, per se. <laughs> I mean, if you have a choice between, you know, a God that is indifferent, doesn't care, doesn't do anything, or the devil, most people are just going to be like, you know what, I'm just going to be over here somewhere. Yeah, just chill. <laughs> and so there's, there's something that we do see in the world that people turn to. And, and what is that? Please go to slide, uh, slide nine. Science. Science. So, science, at its, at its bare definition, is the process of learning about the natural world through observation and experimentation. So, put another way, put it in a Christian context, it's simply seeking to understand the world that God made. Right? Pretty simple. I've talked to a lot of, of atheists who very, um, you know, they'll, they'll come into the meetup that I have, and I'm like, hey, you know, what, what's your opinion of God and the afterlife and everything? And, and they say with typically a very smug smile, oh, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. 
as if one, you only can have one or the other. And two, they're phrasing it as, like in the context of another religion. It's like, I don't believe this, I believe this instead. And so we need to understand that, first of all, science is, is great. I'm not an anti-science whatever. But we need to also understand we live in an age of rampant deception and misinformation. And there is such a thing as bad science. And we need to understand the difference. And so I want to talk about that for a second. Next slide, please. Uh, I want to talk about something that is taught as fact in our schools and something that has catastrophic consequences for the believer. And that's this idea of evolution. And I'm, I'm sorry if you guys aren't science people, but this is, this is a big deal because our kids are learning this, and I learned it, and it, it sent me on a path of atheism because it means you don't need God. This idea that, uh, you know, we all came at some point, a, a monkey and a giraffe have some kind of common ancestor, and it all came from like one little batch of goo from, a, you know, a gazillion years ago. For one, it's not, it has never been observed in nature. It has never been uh, replicated in a lab, so it just broke the two rules of the definition I, I, we just gave you. And, uh, but yet it's taught as fact. And so there's, there's a difference between like natural selection, like how a wolf became a dog, like that, that's accepted by everybody. But this idea that like a wolf could somehow become, you know, a chimpanzee, if you give it enough time, is, is nonsense. It's laughable, to be honest. The, the, whole, the whole theory is very silly. It's a 250-year-old theory, by the way. It's never, been, it's never been proven. And so bad science also has consequences. We, we know that the, the, the foundation, the, the, the beginning of the concept of racism came from evolution, from evolutionists who decided that it, ignoring the Bible and, and, and instead of believing truthfully that we all came from one blood, as Paul says, that instead, well, you know, different people groups, they, they, you know, sort of evolved over time. And of course, you know, well, some of them are farther along the spectrum than others. And of course, by coincidence, you know, the ones that they decided were the farthest along were the ones that were also the evolutionists. But, you know, but all of this had consequences, right? Because when you start to, to make people into different, you know, different like levels of humanity, right? We, they ended up getting treated differently. And we, we've seen the consequences ever since. And so bad science, has to be like ruled out. And that's very important for, for us to get past that and to just start thinking critically, right? Because a lot of these things are given from positions of authority, right? Why would I, why would I not believe my teacher? Because it's, it's coming from school. Um, and yet science has, has made a pivot from even way back then, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, from, from explaining God's world to trying to use science to explain the world without God. That's, that's been the pivot, and, and we see that you know, coming to fruition today. So this slide is called, that same slide where we talked about science, um, it's called Science and the Chef. And that's slide 10. And why is it called Science and the Chef? Because I'm going to talk to you all about a really deep concept. It's, it's called spaghetti and, and wristwatches. And the reason I want to talk to y'all about spaghetti is because I originally wanted to put chitlins, but I feel I understand that not everybody feels the same way I do about chitlins. I love chitlins, so if you cook some, let me you know holler at your boy, let me know. All right, so I put spaghetti instead. Now, if you're at a restaurant, for those of you who've seen ratatouille and you eat you know the spaghetti that's really good, and you're just like, man, this must have just just it's the bomb. So it must have just blew up and appeared. No, you say. 
somebody made this. Somebody, so you can study the spaghetti and come to the conclusion on your own that somebody made it, right? It didn't just make itself. If it's really bomb, it didn't just make itself. Um, but that doesn't, and, and we're talking about science here, you can come to the conclusion that there is a creator of the spaghetti, but you can't come to the conclusion of what the, the chef's favorite color is, where he lives, anything about the chef other than that he created it. So when you're using science to study God's creation, the evidence of nature is, is, is proof that God exists, but it doesn't tell you who the creator is. So without the word of God, it's like watching a movie on mute. I'll even say it like this. You can read the Bible, but without the Holy Spirit, it's like watching that movie on mute. Yep. You yep. can see everything that's going on, but you can't hear it. God's not talking to you about it. So why did I put on wrist watches up there? It's because this whole idea of the Big Bang, there was an explosion and then matter, and then people just, you know, evolved. So if that's the case, because there's, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions of stars and stuff, there's got to be a universe out there that when the Big Bang happened, instead of creating people, it created watches, like really complex watches. And then those watches evolved and started reproducing other watches. And then they had clock towers, and then they had Apple watches, and then they had all kind of watches. So there's a universe out there where it's not people, it's just watches. Does that sound right? Is that... But that's what we teach. That's what we teach. Mm -hmm. We learned that it, there was just an explosion and, and something happened. I've been waiting for an explosion to happen in a BMW or a Tesla to just <laughs> appear, made and ready, and for, it's, it hasn't happened yet. So when we're talking about um, evolution and science and everything, yes, you can observe what God made, but there has to be another step so that you can get to know who the chef is. Yeah. Um, next slide. Actually, no, the same slide, because um, you were going to talk about thermodynamics. Yeah, and I'm sorry for this, but this is, this is also important. So we, you talked about matter and energy exploding out of nothing, right? And that, that's sort of, that's another thing that we're taught in school, this, this whole idea of the Big Bang instead of an actual intentional creation. There's, so these are theories, the Big Bang theory, the theory of evolution. Um, regardless of how they're presented, that, they, that's what they are, the theories. They're things that can't be proven. There is something that is not a theory, but a law, and that's the law of thermodynamics. And if you guys, you may have remembered from you know, way back when, your middle school or high school, I had to refresh it because I forgot it too. But the very first law, this is, this is something that Albert Einstein was convinced would never be overturned or overthrown. This is as bedrock science as it, as it gets. This is what you would call good science. The first law of thermodynamics says that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a whole bunch of matter and energy all around us. It makes up the entire physical universe. So if, if matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed, and yet here we are, who created it? If, if the natural world can't create these things, then by definition, something supernatural had to have created it. And that is the chef. Yeah, the chef. Um, there has to be a key for a language to work. There has to be something, like we have a DNA strand, but something has to give each of those DNA strands a definition of what it does. In other words, have you ever been cussed out in a different language? Yeah. <laughs> Did it make you mad at first? No, because you don't know what they're saying. <laughs> so <laughs> you gotta have a key to understand. <laughs> so everything can't just, just 
be created unless there's a creator to give it a definition of what it is. Yeah. All right. And so, <laughs> and next slide, please. And so, how do we know the chef? We know the chef because he was gracious enough to give us a lifeline, to give us a user manual for this life. Because we, as children, need instruction from our father. And he, he has provided that. And the devil has been for many thousands of years doing his best to say, don't worry about that. It's either, either it's full of holes or you don't, it's, it's boring. You don't need to worry about it. You know, do something more fun. But this is, this is how we grow and mature spiritually. This is how our faith gets strengthened. This is how all the answers are found. This is, this, the Bible is truth. It doesn't contain truth. It is truth. And, the Bible, and, and God has provided us with proofs that we can, that we can use to verify that. And, and I went through this whole process, um, but primarily the, the biggest reason that you can trust the Bible is prophecy. And prophecy is, is a topic that ironically is never, I don't, I don't know, I don't hear about it anymore. Uh, I, I, you know, I did it independent research, I guess you can call it or whatever, but this is, this is what makes the Bible powerful. Uh, Jesus said himself, where is it? Uh, okay, so he said in, in, uh, in John, I write these things to you who believe uh, in, oh wait, I'm sorry, that's not the right one. Where is it? Oh, here it is. And now I have told you before it comes. He was talking to his disciples about things that were going to happen. John 14. Thank you, John 14. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That was, that's the purpose of prophecy. Prophecy is not there to impress your friends. Prophecy is not there, you know, so that you can try and hit the lottery because you know it's coming or something silly like that. It's there so that you can have faith in that Bible that he gave us. 25% of the entire Bible is prophecy. And I want to just go over one real quick because some of these are very elaborate and, you know, we don't, we don't have time for all that. Mm -hmm. But, what do you want? No, no, go for it. Slide okay. 12. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, in the Old Testament, there is 300-ish prophecies of the first coming of Jesus Christ. You've got ones like where he was born, uh, prophesied in Micah 5.2, that he would be born a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, how he died, a very uh, graphic description of, of what Jesus was going through when he died on the cross, Psalm 22, uh, that he would be crucified, Zechariah 12.10, and by the way, Zechariah was written hundreds of years before the method of crucifixion was even designed. And that he would die for our sins, the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. These are, I'm just cherry picking a few. So a lot of, a lot of the criticism of prophecy comes with people saying, well, you know, what actually happened was they went back and they edited the record to make, you know, to sort of make this fit, which doesn't fly because in 285 BC, the entire Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek in what was known as the Septuagint version by 70 Hebrew scholars because uh, you know, Israel was, was under foreign rule, their, their language was dying out, Greek was becoming the new sort of you know, global uh, language. So they translated into Greek in 285 BC. 300 years before Jesus Christ ever walked the earth and fulfilled all of those prophecies. So there, it was right there, it's a matter of secular um, fact that this, this copy was in uh, the hands of people 300 years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. And so all of those prophecies were fulfilled exactly as they were written. Some of them were written a thousand years before Jesus was there. And I mean, again, we're talking about 300 different prophecies. For the 300 prophecies that are there 
prophesying his first return, there's at least double that prophesying his second return, which has not happened yet. And so these things are there so that we may believe. And it begs the question, if these prophecies were true, and we can verify them outside of the Bible, this, that's the whole point. You know, you can look at secular history and be like, oh, that's exactly how it happened. Do you think that God just left, just made the prophecies true, and then the stuff about, you know, that, that kind of irritating stuff about don't fornicate and adultery and all these other things, like that's kind of like, well, that stuff's passe, but, you know, the prophecies, they're really cool. No, he gave us these proofs so that we can trust the entire counsel of God. Go ahead and uh, go to slide 13. We're going to go ahead and start wrapping up here. But um, I'm going to read this one. It says in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So we've showed what the world sees God as. We've talked about who God is to us. We've even shown that the prophecies, or there's 300 in there, if you take the time to search and look, are true. Um, he says, seek and you will find him. Our job as Christians needs to be to be like a detective who has clues and seek to find. Because when you seek, you, you will find. It's one thing to just come and, and sit and hear and say, oh, that's great. We don't have time to convince. Our job is not to convince. But what our job is to do is encourage us all to seek and find. Because if you're just on the fence or you're just like, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Um, it's too cold. I'm not going to church. You don't want to get in front of the creator of the universe and have a oops moment. <laughs> that oops. That, you know, we'll just find out. You know what? We don't know who, who God is. Oops. You don't want that oops moment. <laughs> you don't, because then it's too late. So it's our job, if we know this, I heard a preacher once say he had a dream that um, God told him about September 11th, the day before. And he said to him, you can go in and save as many people as you can, but you cannot tell them anything about September 11th. It's the 10th. You can go in, try your best to say, but you can't tell them what's coming. Think about that. What would you say? Well, brethren, we know what's coming. We have a choice to go out and just tell people. God said, you are not the chef. You're just the waiter. Your job is not to make the food. It's just to go serve it. Go outside and tell someone. Yes, it is about numbers. Because we need to let the most people that we can know about the food that's being cooked. And let the chef do the rest. It's good food. Yeah. <laughs> it's good food. And remember that... Jesus promised us that if you seek, you will find. Will, not might, not if you work really hard. The omnipotent God of the universe has promised you that if you just take that first step in faith. If you're a non-believer and you just do something crazy and just, in your head, ask this God that you don't believe in. Say, you know what, if you're real, please show me. I, I'd like to know. And if you mean it, he's going to show you. Come get some of this spaghetti. Hey, and if you wouldn't, hey, come get some of these chitlins. Hey. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and uh, pray out. So if you could go ahead and, and stand up. Um, I do want to say we will continue our conversations. We have a young adults Bible study on every Tuesday at 730. It's, it's virtual. So if you want the link, you'll have uh, the QR code later on.